We're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I've entitled the message, Reasonable Ways to Serve God. And we have some pretty powerful passages here in Romans chapter, beginning in Romans chapter 12, uh, ones that impact us as we seek to serve and honor Christ with our lives. Now, like many of Paul's epistles, what he does is this. He'll give a whole lot of theology at the beginning of the epistle, and then he'll kind of turn to some practical applications later in the epistle. So we find that to be true in Romans. So we have a whole lot of theology. As a matter of fact, Romans is probably one of the, the, there's one of the heaviest concentrations of theology in the book of Romans. And in Ephesians too, even though it's so short, it's another concentration of theology. But with the theology, there is also a practical aspect to it. So Paul is taking what truths he has expressed and he builds upon that to encourage and to exhort believers to follow after him. So we look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and let me read it as we get started here. It says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we have several exhortations beginning in Romans chapter 12, but notice how he says, I beseech you therefore, and the therefore is therefore because it points to what has come before it. And so as we consider Romans, I want you to just bear with me for a few moments and as I give you a survey of the theology of Romans, um, just kind of hold on to your horses there as we go through this. So the therefore, I beseech you therefore, this is because of what he has said uh, before this point. Uh, these are some of the things that he says. First of all, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. God will judge the unbeliever and unrighteous, for all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is salvation through Jesus to all who believe. Abraham had faith and was justified. And our, uh, by the way, the last two sermons were based on the Abraham passage in, Revel in uh, Romans chapter 4. So Abraham had faith and was justified, and David also. We have peace with God. Through Adam, death came, but through Jesus, life has come. Therefore, we are slaves of God now, free from the law, freed from sin. We are no longer condemned, but filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And no one can separate us from his love. People do not belong to God because they are Israelite. The Israelites fall from God and have become the salvation, and that has become the salvation of the whole world. And that sounds kind of strange, that the fall of Israel has become our salvation. So God has really worked a work there. In chapter 11, and this becomes... Uh, particularly pertinent because it draws into chapter 12 here. So we're moving closer to this therefore in chapter 12. God has grafted you and me into the tree of his people. He has made us his people, his children. We are saved because of our faith in him. We have received his mercy and what God has done in saving us is amazing. So these are some of the things in chapters uh, before chapter 12 and into chapter 11 as we come to Chapter 12, therefore, therefore, and Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, I beseech you. Now, this is a, beseech is kind of a soft word, I think. 
What he could say here, or what it could say is this. I beg you. I plead with you. I ask earnestly. I appeal. I request you. I encourage. I exhort. I urge you. And so what Paul is doing is he is giving a strong exhortation, a sincere uh, uh, encouragement for us as believers to take what he has taught about the truths of God and to put it into practice in our lives. And so he says, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, uh, because in all of this salvation that he has talked about through Jesus Christ, there is one thing that comes shining through, and it is because he has done this because of his compassion for us. Amen? It is because he has loved us, because he continues to love us, even though we were sinners, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. And so Paul, as part of his beseeching, his encouragement, his pleading, he rests upon God's mercy and God's compassion. And that's great, isn't it? I mean, God loved us so much that he gave his life for us. So we are saved this morning because of one thing, because of the love of God. God's love has caused him to act in such an incredible way that has brought salvation to us through Jesus Christ. We were talking this morning in our Bible study before the service, in our Sunday morning Bible study, where we were looking at the woman caught in adultery. So uh, they catch this woman in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus, and they say, the law says she should be stoned. Well, uh, if you read the story, if you read the account, you'll see how Jesus says, well, let the first one who is without guilt, let, the, let that person cast the first stone. And then he keeps on writing in the dirt, and they kind of melt away one by one. Jesus looks up, and it's just him and the woman, and he says, does no one condemn you? She said, no. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he does that, not because he's just kind of uh, just forgetting that he, she ever had done that. I think he's doing that because he's looking forward to the fact that one day very soon, he is going to pay the penalty for her adultery. And this becomes a point that hits home to her, I guess, or it should have, I think it did, where he tells her to go, he is going to bear it, go and sin no more, because he is going to bear it. And I think if we were faced and confronted with the fact that I don't know, think of some sin that you did recently. That Jesus isn't just letting it go. He died on the cross and paid the penalty for what you just did. I think we kind of came to terms with the fact that there is a direct correlation to my sin and his suffering that maybe we would go and sin no more a little bit better, if you will, or at least more mindful of the impact that this has had on what Jesus did for us. There was something significant that took place. The penalty was paid because of my sin, and he paid it for me. So we rest upon Jesus. We trust in the fact that he paid for my penal my, the penalty for my sins. He did it for me to bring salvation to life. And Paul then urges, and he beseeches, and he begs us by God's mercies that we would do three things in this passage. And so these are the three exhortations that we find in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I beg you, 
Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, first of all, present, that we present our bodies to God. Second, that we don't be conformed to this world, but that we be transformed. These are three specific exhortations that arise out of this passage here, and we want to take some time to look at it. And so as we consider what our reasonable service to God is, because that's part of the passage as well, the first thing that we need to consider or to think about in our lives is this, that we are to present our bodies to God. Present our bodies to God. Now, this is not some spiritualizing of our life or anything like that. He wants us to take this body with all of its imperfections and offer it to God. Now, this is what Christianity is all about, isn't it? It's not about, you know, just, uh, well, this is a part of my life, it's my faith, and I, I go on Sundays and I express it, you know, we worship together, we talk good things, we encourage one another, and all that kind of thing. Those are all good, those are all important. But it springs from the fact that he has saved me in order to give myself back to him, to present myself to him. This is a real act of service that I ought to choose based on the salvation that he has brought about in my life. I am to present my body to him, my body. And and this is about service to God. This is about service to God. So we make a presentation, and this word is used uh, when it refers to taking something and bringing it next to or near somebody else. So it's like uh, we just had Christmas a month ago. It's hard to believe we're already at the end of January, right? Isn't that hard to believe? It's hard to believe for me. But uh, time just flies so fast. What was that? All right, somebody made a joke, and I'm not in on it. I just missed that. Oh, I know it's February. January is finished. I can't believe that, all right? Did I, did I not say it right? Okay. Well, that happens regularly, you know, for you visitors. I regularly put my foot in my mouth or say the wrong thing, thinking one thing and say something else. So you guys fill in the blank. I'm trusting that you're smart enough to do that. Okay. Now I've got to find my place in my sermon. <laughs> guys, just making it difficult for me. So we uh, just had Christmas, and in Christmas, what do we do? We take our gifts and we bring them near to the ones that we love, right? We take our gifts, we bring them near to the ones that we love, and we give them our gifts so that they can open it and we can see their joy and we can have a time of fellowship with each other. Uh, In my house, uh, we have a whole lot of people. And if we were going to get really, really nice gifts, uh, I, I just do not have the wealth to do that. You know what I mean? So when my kids, they ask me for my Christmas list, I give them a Christmas list of things that are viable for them. Kit Kats, M&Ms, McDonald's gift cards, you know, little low-cost things. Because it's not about the gift, it's about, you know, the sharing of your love and your compassion with one another. And so I try to give as many of these low-cost items as possible. So if they want to get me something, they can find something that's inexpensive that I will truly enjoy. You give me a bag of M&M's, peanut M&M's, or almond M&M's, I will enjoy that bag, all right? Hint, hint. (laughs) So when it says here, when Paul says, present your bodies, we have the idea of bringing near a gift to him. And what is the gift but ourselves? So I, I take myself, my body, 
and I bring it near to God. Here I am, Lord, use me in service to you. So we want to make this presentation. We want to make a presentation of our bodies. And I keep emphasizing that because who is the one who made us? God made us. Who gave us this life? God did. We're not an accident. He made us a little baby, and uh, we have grown from that time, and we have come to this time where we are alive, regardless of how old we are, by the hand and the grace of God. We are here today. And as Christians, and he brought us to salvation, he, he, he made the salvation available to us, and he has brought us to this point, and my response, or one of my responses to that, is to take this body that he has given me, this life, and give it back to him, present it to him like a gift. And so we take this gift, our person, and we bring it to him. There's a verse in Colossians it says, second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and this refers to our salvation. Uh, it says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may, here's, and here's our word, present, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So here is the taking of our salvation in a very specific and concrete way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it is uh, told us in the context of being presented to Christ. So this is what it means to present our bodies. So what does it mean here then for us? It means to take this body of ours and to offer it to God as a gift. We are the gift that we give to God. Now I know, you know, we have to be a little bit... Uh, humble about it. You know, we don't want to just kind of waltz up to God and say, here I am. You know, like we're something greater or that. We're nothing apart from Christ, but that's the point. You know, we come, having been saved by Christ, we come and we say, here I am. Just use me however you want to use me in my life. Now, he says we are to make this presentation and the second thing is to make a presentation of our bodies. And I've already kind of elaborated on this, but it is our body, the bodies, it is our life that we're talking about. In the Gospels, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, your heart and your mind and your strength and your soul. And one way to look at that is when Jesus says, love him with all your mind and heart and strength and soul, he's basically saying with all that you are, Love him. And so it's kind of the same expression here. It is the offering of ourselves in all of our capacities to God. Now, you know, some of us are not as smart as other people, and some of us are not as strong as other people, and not of us, some of us are not as young as other people or as old as other people. We're all in different places in this thing called life. And he understands that. Some of us have a lot of responsibilities you know, to provide, and some of us have, you know, large families to take care of, and it doesn't matter, though. All of these things are a part of our life, and he understands it all, and what we're supposed to do is take all of it as we are from where he has brought us, and we are to give it to him, offer it to him. That is our gift, and to do this, to offer our bodies in service to him is the fullest expression of spiritual service that we can do. 
It's not just about coming to church, although that's an important part of it. It's not just about doing our Bible study devotions every day. It's not just about our prayer life. All of these things are part of it. It is about offering to him our lives in everything that we do, including our work, including our schools, including our relationships to our neighbors, including everything. In every aspect of our lives, we are to reflect the characteristics of Christ. We are little Christian, little Christs, Christians in this world. And in everything that we do, we are to reflect him and to turn the attention to him. We give ourselves and everything that we are to him. Keep your spot here in Romans chapter 12 and turn quickly to Isaiah chapter 6. And this is such a great example in Isaiah 6 of this offering of ourselves to him. And uh, you'll recognize this once I read it, but this is kind of the call of Isaiah, the call of Isaiah. This is where Isaiah is called by God to be his prophet. And it says in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord lifted on, sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim, each one Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I think verse 6 here and 7 talk about the salvation of Isaiah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched it on my mouth, He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So we see the salvation there. And then we come to verse 8, and here's the service that results from it. So what we have in Paul is the exact parallel, or is a a parallel of this. He He has his iniquities taken away, his sin purged, and then the Lord says this, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, this is so great. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And, and I can just see or just relate to Isaiah that there's no hesitation here. He, he has just had his life purged of his sins. And when God says, who will I send? His hand shoots up. And so this is what we ought to do on a day-by-day basis. Because he comes to us and he prompts us by his spirit to live for him. And we, have, we should have the same willingness. Here I am, Lord. I will do it. I will go forward. I will, I will serve you in this way, however you want. So we, we do that. And so we consider Isaiah and what he has done uh, and his service to God. And, and that becomes what Paul is exhorting us to, to present ourselves, to present our lives, which has come from God anyways, to present it to him in service to him. And this is what Jesus, Jesus did for us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, says, Jesus, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, 
zealous for good works. Now, there are two things to note in this passage that Jesus is actually kind of the example or the model for us of giving ourselves to God. Jesus did this same thing. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. And then the same, uh, what follows here is that he made for himself a special people. That's us. We are his special people. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, we have a a lot of people who struggle with self-worth and self-esteem and self-this and self-that. And I don't know all the words that the world is uh, throwing out there. But, you know, we... The, the world can just, we can look at ourselves and when we try to find our significance in ourselves, we're going we're gonna to fail ourselves. I mean, we're not going to meet the standard. We're not going to be great in any way. Uh, that's not temporary. We're going to fall short. But our worth is not found in ourselves. Our worth is found in the fact that he redeemed us and made us his. I am his. And I am special because of it. Because he has chosen me and he has made me his special people. Therefore, I will be zealous for good works. I will offer myself to him to do whatever he wants. So what we do in this body matters. Amen? What we do with this life matters. Because we are to take it and offer it to God. And so what we do, our choices Uh, They matter. They matter to God. He is looking for us to offer ourselves to him. My life is about service to God. Now, I like to have some fun in my life. And because of that, I have to guard myself. So I enjoyed watching my football games last, last week. I was happy with one of them and not so happy with the other one of them. But... That's okay. So I was, uh, yeah, anyway, I like to have fun. I like to enjoy. I like to play some. I play a lot of games with my kids. I've always played, played games with my kids. I've always done that, and I like that. But at the same time, I have to guard myself because life is not about fun and games. Those are secondary, and those are only in response, or should be anyway, with respect to engaging myself with somebody else. I don't know if that makes sense. And what I have to do because there are a whole lot more serious things in my life than the fun things. You know what I mean? I have to, and we all do, have to deal with real serious issues and trouble, life-threatening and life-altering things in our lives, right? And I have to be prepared, and I have to cultivate in my relationship to Jesus a life that will enable me to handle them. Otherwise, when the bad stuff comes, I'm just going to fall to pieces, right? If there's no substance to my life, I'm just going to fall apart. And sometimes I do anyways. But that's just a reflection of the ongoing growth that has to take place in our lives. And so we have to put aside the frivolous things and put them in their place while we spend our time offering ourselves to God cultivating a life of service in Jesus' name so that we have the strength and the faith to persevere when the rough times come. 
So there must be substance to us, and this is what Jesus wants. He wants a relationship with him, a life of service, and that creates a mature Christian. We could say it so many different ways here so that we can handle the challenges of life in a God-honoring way, a way that honors him and praises him and lifts him up and gives all the glory to him because it's his grace that enables me to take the next step. Now, as we continue, now this is not an automatic thing. We have to grow into it, and this is the sanctification process. And part of the gospel message and the gospel life is the fact that not only did Jesus die on the cross and uh, shed his blood for my sins, but he rose and ascended to the throne on high, and when he ascended, he sent the the Holy Spirit to come, to empower us, to live within us, to direct us, to guide us. And so we continue to live this life by his help. He is with us always. So, as we consider our lives, you know, we can sanctify, we can cut some things out, we can add some things in, and all of this is part of the sanctification process. But what we are to do as we make this presentation, it is a presentation of our bodies as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice. Now, God requires sacrifice. God has always required sacrifice. The first sacrifice, I believe, took place with Adam and Eve after they sinned. They, after they sinned, they clothed themselves with the leaves but he clothed them with the animal skins. And I think that was the first sacrifice that was made. It was the first death of a living animal. And God used it in order to cover them, their nakedness, their shame from their sin, to cover their sin. And so the whole sacrificial system just kind of uh, was given after that. The animals were killed and they were sacrificed. Their blood was shed so that there would be a temporary kind of atonement for the sins of the people. And that continued until Jesus and all of the sacrifices of the animals pointed to the true sacrifice which was found in Jesus. He sacrificed himself on the cross. He shed his blood, a permanent everlasting sacrifice for our sins. And the idea, the necessity of sacrifice continues even past the sacrifice of Jesus to us. We continue this necessity of sacrifice to this day. Not sacrifice of animals, but a sacrifice of our bodies. I, I just wonder in history of the church, if it said, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a sacrifice, what would have happened? I can just see people throughout the history of the church just kind of giving their lives, I mean, to the death as a sacrifice. But it doesn't say that. The kind of sacrifice is not the kind of the killing and the shedding of blood. It is a living sacrifice, and that's what the, the verse says here. We are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, our sacrifice is the ongoing every day as we live in this life which is given to us by God. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice continuously until the time when our, our deed is done, our service is done. Now, why sacrifices? Isn't that strange? And it's really strange in light of all the pagan religions and stuff that has gone out there where sacrifice, you know, the offering of an animal or, uh, you know, some kind of animal or even people has been made throughout history. And some critics might point and say, look, you know, 
Christianity is no different than all of these pagan religions that offer sacrifices. I mean, they had to offer sacrifices in Israel as well. But all of the world religions, the, the pagan religions, those are, are poor imitations of the requirement that God has made. But why a sacrifice? Why does God require a sacrifice to begin with? Well, we, I can't spend too much time on this, but Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, gives us a little bit of, of a clue. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so there has to be the shedding of blood for the atonement or the forgiveness of sins. And so when Christ went to the cross, he had to shed his blood for the, give, the forgiveness of sins. The life of God's creatures is found in the blood. That's how he did it, when he created it. Therefore, the shedding of blood, if you were to kill somebody, that is a capital offense. And at the same time, the giving of a life is necessary to save the life of another. The blood of one for the life of another. Thus, the blood of the animals for the life of the sinners. But of course, only Jesus' blood was permanent and the kind of blood that was necessary to bring everlasting forgiveness. And so Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and he shed his blood for the saving of sinners and it is still efficacious to this day. And that's why there is no other blood sacrifices that are necessary. Jesus shed his blood and it is still powerful today to forgive me. And it will be tomorrow as well. But rather than me shedding my blood, I give my life as a living sacrifice to him. Not the shedding of blood, but the active service of living for him. It is an ongoing service for Jesus, to Jesus. So this is God's plan. Now, there's one more thing that we have to consider. That just because it is God's plan for sacrifice and for service, and just because Jesus models it or has modeled it in giving himself, and just because we might have the desire to do it, does not mean that we are able to. And this is where the Spirit comes into play. He has done the work and the Spirit has come to me so that I might do it as well. Uh, interestingly enough, in the sacrifice of Jesus, it says this, the role of the Spirit, in his sacrifice. It says in Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself, do you see that? Through the eternal Spirit, he offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Again, we have another parallel to Romans chapter 12. And we are empowered or enabled to do it as we walk in the Spirit of God. And the reason that's important is because I might determine today, all right, I'm going to serve God today. I'm going to live for Him today. I get up in the morning, you know, I'm rested. My mind is on fire now. And, you know, I'm, I'm not tired. That lasts the whole 15 minutes. But for anyways, for that 15 minutes, I'm, you know, I'm gung-ho. I'm ready to go. I'm going to live for you today, Jesus. And no matter how determined I am and how motivated I might be, there is going to come a point in which I'm going to, you know, come off my high horse and just go splat. I don't have the strength. I can't do it myself. I never will be able to do it myself. But I don't have to do it myself. He did the work on the cross. He sent the Spirit of God. 
And the Spirit has transformed me and lives within me so that I can honor Him and live for Him in my life. And so let us yield ourselves to the Spirit of God so that we might present ourselves to Him. So we present ourselves to Him. It is like an offering, a sacrifice to God, but it is a living one. I live for Him in my life. It is a holy sacrifice. Notice he says, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. And this goes back to the fact that what we do in our bodies matters. Holy, acceptable to God. And it says then this, that this is your reasonable service. Now, there's a little bit of a difference of translations here. So if you're reading the, King, the New King James Version, which is what I'm pre- preaching from, New King James, it says your reasonable service. If you're reading an ESV or an NIV, it says your spiritual act of worship or something along those lines. Um, there are two words here in the Greek. The first one is reasonable, and that is a good translation. This is what makes sense. If you consider all that he has done for you, it only makes sense that you would offer yourself to him, right? It only makes sense that you would do that. And then it has the word service, and, and here's where the word service is only used in the New Testament to refer to spiritual acts of service towards God. So you have the only service that makes sense in your worship or service to God. Those are the two words there. And so in all of these things that Paul has shared, he encourages us, he beseeches us by God's mercies that we as believers in Jesus Christ, transformed by his Spirit, would offer ourselves back to live for him. And so this is the exhortation that I leave with you today as we go forward and leave church that our service to God does not end here. Our worship of God and our service to God uh, must continue to take place when we go home, when we are with our families, when we go to work, when we're with... uh, Wherever we're at, wherever we, when we're by ourselves, wherever we might find ourselves, we have a duty and an obligation before God to live for Him, to present ourselves to Him, to serve Him fully with the life that He has given to us. So, praise the Lord for whatever strength I have and whatever health I have and whatever smarts I have, whatever it is that He has given, it to, given to me, I will give them right back to Him in serving him. Praise be to God. Let's stand as we worship him this morning.